Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. On the show this week, the war on WikiLeaks. In many ways, the remarkable thing about WikiLeaks is how well it has managed to stand up to the attack, particularly in comparison to, to some of the commercial companies that it's been put up against. A far from peaceful Nobel Prize. The last time there was an empty chair at a Nobel Peace Prize ceremony, it was in the mid-30s when it was given to somebody campaigning against the Nazis. And Russia wins the World Cup, or at least the right to host the competition in 2018. You're listening to World Weekly with me, Richard Edgar. We start this week with WikiLeaks, the organisation which has seized headlines again in the past weeks with the release of the first of a quarter of a million secret diplomatic cables which have revealed the sometimes awkward inner workings of America's international affairs. Then, its leader was arrested in London on charges of sex crimes. And as the net appeared to close in, in a manner of speaking, on WikiLeaks activities, as companies shut down their accounts, a separate vigilante group has unleashed attacks on those corporates. Well, joining me in the studio to discuss this quite extraordinary story is Tim Bradshaw, the FT's digital media correspondent. Well, Tim, first of all, bring us up to date on what the latest is. We've got Twitter and Facebook stepping in. Twitter and Facebook have stepped in to try and clamp down on Anonymous, which is the name by which this group of activist hackers that has been taking uh, action on behalf of WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks quite keen to say that they're not directly affiliated with them, but they are using Facebook and Twitter to coordinate some of their activities. The most recent tweet that one of their accounts posted was to actually a list of what seemed to be credit card numbers, at which point I think it would appear that Twitter decided that 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 was was enough was enough (laughs) at that point. But the problem with these sites, of course, is they're just creating new accounts all the time. And lots of other people are creating accounts which appear to be for these people, because part of the problem with this group um, and their so-called Operation Payback is that it's it's a very loose assortment of people. This isn't a kind of dedicated group, so they're just popping up all over the place. But nevertheless, it's very effective. So what is it that they've been doing? What is the nature of these attacks on PayPal and MasterCard and the others? The tactic which Operation Payback is using is called a distributed denial of service attack. It's fairly common practice in cybercrime. If a gang wants to try and extort money from a certain company, they'll launch a a big attack from lots and lots of computers that they've infested with viruses, unbeknownst to their owners will be repeatedly calling up the web page of the victim to such a point where the computer behind the website just gives up and falls over. So the the same method has been applied against uh, Mastercard.com, PayPal's blog, um, looks like Amazon might be up next on the hit list. Basically, they apply it with incoming traffic until it falls over. Is there any way that these attacks can be stopped? It's very difficult to defend against if you're a small site. I mean, I think what's been quite remarkable about this is these are very, very big sites that have been taken down. I mean, Mastercard's general payment processing system in in, in supermarkets wasn't affected, but there was some disruption to their online authentication system. The way that you can defend against it is merely by putting more server capacity behind your system and and using something like the big server farm that was used by WikiLeaks on Amazon or or Google or or other companies offer a a similar kind of system and and just hope that you've got enough capacity to match the inbound attention. Well, let's turn to WikiLeaks itself. How secure is it at the moment as um, various organisations have boosted 
booted it off their servers. Is its data suddenly going to disappear? Well, I think in many ways the remarkable thing about WikiLeaks is how well it has managed to stand up to the attacks, uh, particularly in comparison to, to some of the commercial companies that it's been put up against. They've changed their server configuration several times. They had to hop over to a new domain name. They've been down for a few hours at a time but in uh, over the weekend, but since then they've really been very resilient. They've, they've managed to replicate and, their servers all over the world. And what about the leader of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange? He's behind bars at the moment. Um, how much impact is that having on the organisation? It doesn't seem to have so far affected them at all. Um, they've been putting out new releases like Clockwork. They even managed to put an extra dump of cables out yesterday, which was um, appearing to show how American diplomats in Russia were lobbying on behalf of Visa and MasterCard. So um, that was another little uh, little nod back uh, in in the direction of those guys in uh, in a sort of retaliation, although not quite the same as uh, as a denial of service attack. At the moment, they seem to be doing well. The the, the problem perhaps will come. When the next batch of incoming documents is dropped on their doorstep and they have to try and figure out what to do with that. Okay, so finally, what repercussions do you think that this might trigger in terms of the way that the web is governed? I suppose it shows really that the web isn't governed. Um, it I mean, be? it's 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 a very difficult thing to tame still, um, as as this sort of roaming band of vigilantes has, has demonstrated. Whether I mean, and, and WikiLeaks itself has demonstrated it, it. It's been swatted down several times and just keeps popping up, and and there seems to be very little that anybody can do about it. I mean, they are still um, WikiLeaks insiders tell me under a huge amount of attack, a denial of service attack again themselves, and they're still standing up. It's not entirely clear who's behind those. attacks tax on WikiLeaks, but they're still up. Tim Bradshaw, thank you very much indeed. Well, now to the Nobel Peace Prize. This year, it's being awarded to the Chinese dissident Liu Xiaobo, but he won't be there to receive it. He's in prison because his government objects to the prize. Instead, there'll be a poignant empty chair in Oslo as the King of Norway makes the award. Well, joining me to discuss this is the FT's Deputy News Editor and former Beijing Bureau Chief, Richard McGregor, who's just flown in from Shanghai. Welcome back, Richard. Thank you. Uh, First of all, by preventing Liu Xiaobo from attending, do you think that the Chinese government is perhaps um, focusing rather more uh, attention tension on its own human rights record than would otherwise have been the case? Well, of course they are, because they simply basically make it a bigger story. If they'd ignored it, um, it people would have paid less attention to it and, in fact, would have commented favourably on their change in the way of handling this. And, of course, we, they wouldn't have the dreadful comparison the last time anybody... There was an empty chair at a Nobel Peace Prize ceremony when it was it was in the mid-30s when it was given to somebody campaigning against the Nazis. So it begs the question, why have they done this then? Why have they reacted quite so strongly? Well, I think it's all politics is local, and that includes in China. So the, the biggest import of the statements or direction of the statements made by Chinese are to the Chinese and to members of the, the Chinese Communist Party, I think. In other words, Liu Xiaobo's petition was directed at, uh, at the single party, and they're saying, well, this just isn't on. And it, it, you know, nobody should dare suggest it, it, it could be. Also, a lot of these statements are coming from the foreign ministry. The foreign ministry in China, just as in other countries, is often considered to be weak. And as the spokesperson or the spokesministry for the country, they can't afford to be anything but tough. And they seem resolutely tough. Um, is there any chance, you think, that they might soften their stance on matters like these? Or is it the, the pact they have with the Chinese people that we provide and you obey, that that is just unshakable? Well, I think within China and within the sort of ruling elite, there has been a debate about the the way Liu Xiaobo has been handled, uh, about the 11-year prison sentence given to him. Uh, I, I, I think even though it's not out in public, there are some people who wouldn't support that in private. 
Uh, in public, there will be no dissent from that line, and anybody who does dissent from that line, I think, would be in big, big trouble. So I don't see any major change in the way China handles this. Let's turn to the West. Do you think that Western governments or Western attitudes need to change towards China? Do we do we need to soften and adapt to a, a very different culture? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think you know, obviously, the Nobel Peace Prize is. Given to Liu Xiaobo on purpose to make an issue of China's human rights, and you know, all's fair in love and war. I think you know, I think it's uh, un- unless Western countries stand for something and are willing to stick by their principles, everybody is a little bit hypocritical. But if you just throw them out the door completely and ignore them in your dealings with China, then I don't think you've got much left to stand on. Um, so I, I don't think it's... I mean, you can make objections. The People say Liu Xiaobo doesn't really represent the democratic movement in China. All that is debatable and perhaps true. But I think as a symbol of China's... Uh, the difference of the political system, well, I think it's fair enough to give it to him. And what about the Chinese pressure uh, that has been brought to bear on various other governments asking them not to attend um, in, uh, in, in Oslo? Well, I think that's one of the most interesting things because you can start to see, you know, China is a powerful country and can apply pressure and bend people to its will and not. Let me give you two examples very quickly. Uh, the Philippines, which is a very open country, very democratic country, they've decided not to go, uh, I guess, to curry favour with China. But... South Korea has decided to go because they've been so angry with China over their handling of North Korea. And so the, you know, the South Koreans will have really angered China by giving them really you know, a one-finger salute on this issue and turning up in Oslo. So you can see the tensions uh, that China's approach uh, uh, produces. Finally, you've just come back from Shanghai. What was the mood there? Well, you know, I think with the mood where I can remember I tried to get a copy of the FT at the Shangri-La Hotel and the front front part of it was missing. And the guy behind the counter said to me, oh, there must have been something political there because the Chinese literally, you know, take bits of the paper out when there's something political there. And I said to him, oh, I guess it, it must have been about Liu Xiaobo. And he said, oh, who's he? And I think that said it all. You know, most Chinese people have never heard of him. Absolutely. Richard McGregor, thank you very much indeed. And now to sport, football to be precise. Last week, Russia was awarded the rights to host the World Cup in 2018, provoking cries of outrage, particularly here in England, where many were miffed that we didn't get it. Russia's victory and Qatar's, they've backed the 2022 competition, has provoked suspicion and calls for investigations into corruption at FIFA, the sport's governing body, which awards the competition. Well, joining me on the line to discuss the implications of the win is Roger Blitz, the FT's leisure industries correspondent, who was in Zurich for the announcement. Uh, Roger, uh, last night uh, the Russian football manager Andrei Konchelsky said that the English response to the vote was just sour grapes. Is he right or is there something more to this? Well, I think he's mostly right. Uh, imagine if it was the other way round and England had won and Russia was making these the same sort of complaints and moaning like this. I think our media would certainly be saying that it was sour grapes. I think the way that England has reacted to it, we've seen the acting chairman of the Football Association resign, saying he couldn't work with FIFA. And just the general climate of FIFA was deciding that they were going to tell people like Prince William and David Cameron, the Prime Minister, and David Beckham, vote for England, but turning out not to vote for them, has just simply left a lot of people in England assuming that none of this was particularly fair. So I think that the way that uh, England has responded to it has been particularly negative. Um, and those around the world who perhaps always thought of England as being supporters of fair play are able to turn around and say, ah, well, you know, you obviously 
don't like it when you lose and you should show a bit more grace. One thing that I wonder is, do many people feel that this is England's last chance in a way, that um, other parts of the world would have developed so much by the time the next vote is taken that uh, we're really not going to be in the running? Very much so, uh, because after Qatar in um, 2022, the next World Cup in 2026 is going to have a field, presumably, of many more uh, upcoming uh, countries in football terms, those with money who they want to invest in order to use the Football World Cup as a platform, as a, as a base for increasing their world standing. So where will England's bid, if it does bid again, look compared to those? And what FIFA has been saying since Zurich is, look, you know, we, we just believe in the idea of, of taking the World Cup to parts of the world that haven't had it, that are not established football nations. They're referring particularly to Qatar there. Uh, Russia as a, as a nation which hasn't had it before, and FIFA says, well, you know, it really had a better claim to it. In what sense, Roger? I mean, there's these comments from the general secretary of FIFA saying that Russia deserves it. Why so? What is it? Why, why did Russia win? Well, I think they won because they were better at preparing the ground well in advance. I think that they began the lobbying, which inevitably takes place in these events, several months ago. And Vladimir Putin, the Prime Minister, was very upfront in that involvement. He personally met a lot of the FIFA members. There's only 22 of them. And they were at it earlier. I think England got into a little bit of a fix internally. Uh, there were some problems. There was some division between the Football Association and the Premier League. There was the resignation of Lord Treesman, which was a difficulty. And then, obviously, there was the media problems. You could argue that England's lobbying really only began in the last few weeks. They got swept up in the idea that their big three ambassadors were winning the argument in the final days. I mean, I suppose one other thing in Russia's favour is that it has won the Sochi Olympics, so it's proving it can host these, uh, these international events. It was an, uh, an area of, of concern, considerable concern for members of the executive of FIFA. And they really don't have any of the stadia ready compared to England, which had all the stadia ready, and Sochi was uh, a similar concern for the International Olympic Committee. But since it was awarded in 2007, um, Russia has proved that they are able to produce these big infrastructure projects. So one argument for why they probably deserve it is that they have proved that they can do the work and spend the money to do so. Uh, so why shouldn't they be given the chance, considering they've never held the World Cup before and, and Russia being a country of its size and, and of number of people playing football... That is why they would argue they were worthy of it. And finally, do you think that the outcry that there has been this time, I mean, yes, it, uh, a lot of it came from, from England, but do you think that that means there will be changes to the procedure next time that the World Cup is selected, that there will be reform of FIFA? Well, only because I think it's so far away that it would be hard to believe that anything you know, is going to stay the same in, in 10 years' time. And there will probably be a new president. I mean, there has to be a new president. Sepp Blatter is 74 years old. And I think there will just be different ways that, that FIFA manage things. I think at the end of the day that people have to realise that this is FIFA's toy. It is their rights. It is the World Cup. They run it, and they will decide how best they think these things are done. And meddle with it at your peril, as uh, <laughs> perhaps we might find out. Bill, Roger Blitz, thank you very much indeed. And indeed, that's it for this week. So thanks to my guests, Tim Bradshaw and Richard McGregor and Roger Blitz on the line there. World Weekly was produced by LG Filatrani. Till next week.
Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.